Hello everybody and welcome back to the Catacomb Synod Basics series. We are entering a new phase where we are talking about the practical aspects of being a deacon in the Catacomb Synod. How do you lead a Catacomb Synod house church? How do you make the day-to-day -day operations, especially the Sunday Divine Service work? And today we are going to be talking about delivering a message. Now what do I mean by that? Every Friday I release the sermon in the Sunday school. If we have Sunday school, sometimes we skip it for important holidays. But I will cross Hill and Dale to make sure that the sermon is up there on Friday for the Catacomb Synod Network. Now when it comes to delivering a message for Sunday that I've provided at verylutheran.biz, I recommend something very important. Downloading it on Friday, looking it over. You want it in PDF form on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer. You want it printed out, ideally, so you can mark it up if you need. Sometimes you're going to have to editorialize. We will get to that. But the big idea is to have it and to read it first. Most of the deacons that I have interacted with have told me they prefer to read off of the manuscript rather than just playing the audio of me speaking the sermon. For a few of them, that's how their house church likes it. They want to hear my voice delivering the sermon. It's up to you guys. But one of them last night, we were at deacon training, and he was talking about how if he didn't read and practice the manuscript, reading it out loud, then on Sunday morning, he would get up there, read it, and it would be in a robotic monotone. He would skip over some words or stutter a little bit because he didn't know exactly what he was reading. But on the weeks where he did download everything on Friday and give it a read-over on Friday or Saturday, maybe listen to the audio to see how I'm delivering the sermon, he understood better how to do it and he felt more prepared. The service was more fruitful. So first and foremost, be on the lookout for Friday. Take a look at if we've gotten the PDF for that upcoming Sunday for the sermon make sure you have it. That's going to be the first matter of importance. The second, and for this, by the way, I have the PDF of this past Sunday's sermon, November 5th, 2023. It's a good thing to take a look at the top matter as well. So it says here, sermon for November 5th, 2023, 22nd Sunday after Trinity. Now, why is this important? If you have a house church that is highly liturgical, they want you vesting, they want the tapestry at the altar to be according to the colors of the church season, then it's going to be a good idea to know where you are in the church year. 22nd Sunday after Trinity, we are in ordinary time, so we are going to be using the ordinary liturgy, etc., so if your house church prefers more high church aesthetics, you would know, okay, I should be wearing green, particularly a green stole. If we have a nice altar, we should have green tapestry on it. We're ready to go. A second reason it's good to keep in mind this 22nd Sunday after Trinity or wherever the sermon is in the church year is, well, potentially I might be giving you 
a total garbage message. You might read over the manuscript and go, oh my goodness, the VLP director dropped the ball. This is a dumpster fire dog turd of a sermon. I need a better one. So you might be able to go to a different place. Maybe you could go to verylutheran.biz, go to the archives, and from there you can go back about a year and find the last time I preached at this exact week in the church year. Last year, in the 22nd Sunday after Trinity, I preached on the gospel message. Maybe that's more appropriate for your home congregation than me preaching off of the Old Testament lesson. And if you don't like that one, you can go find a plethora of other sermons from other faithful pastors in history, especially the sainted Dr. Martin Luther, who preached on similar passages and go, ah, this is more appropriate for my house church. They are going to get more benefit from that message than what the VLP is providing. Now, hopefully, I don't preach garbage sermons. <laughs> of course, I am human. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. If I ever have a sermon out there that is just awful, please email me. I love constructive criticism, and I am accountable to the Catacomb Synod, especially to the deacons, to make sure I'm giving you guys what you need for your house churches. If I ever screw up, please let me know and we can try to rectify it, or I can just do better next time. Now, moving on to the readings, you might notice something. We go off of the historic one-year lectionary. And occasionally, you might see me going off of reservation. For instance, this past Sunday, I preached on the Old Testament reading, Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It's an expanded version of what the lectionary called for. It was originally Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Well, amen, absolutely. But I felt it was necessary, if I was going to preach on this text, to expand it all the way back from verse 1 in the chapter. I felt it was necessary to have these preceding verses to explain why exactly the children of Israel were saying these things in verses 6 and 7 to God. God put them between a rock and a hard place. They need to answer his indictment. And this is what they come up with. That is part of it. Now, why do I bring this up? Because you as well, dear house church leaders, lay leaders and deacons, you have the right to look at what I'm putting out for the readings and go, well, the director missed this verse for context right after the reading. I need to add that in there. He could have included a couple of those verses before the passage started he really should have done that. I would request that you don't take away anything from the reading. You should really 
add to what the reading says if you believe it is important. Just don't take away from the verses that are there. We do need the context so that the sermon is faithful. So again, if you see something that doesn't quite match up to what the lectionary is saying, if you have a question about it, please send me an email. Please message me and we will get that figured out. Now, note that sometimes I will have words in bold for the psalm in the reading. Uh, that is typically for the collect or for hymns. If you guys are into chanting, the psalm is always going to be included for that so that the congregation can enjoy chanting the psalms. We might have another lesson on that as well. Uh, be prepared for my interesting singing voice. But anyway, if you want to figure out which reading we are going off of, it is right at the bottom of the first page or so after the readings. It says our meditation for X Sunday after Trinity or in whatever the church season is. It's on this reading or that reading. The lectionary readings are typically going to have a common theme to them. The people that wrote up the lectionary, being smarter than me, decided it would be good to have readings that you could tie together. So a pastor, if he's strapped for time, could kind of go on autopilot and write a sermon according to the common theme. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Psalm 116, right after that, starting in the 12th verse, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Well, wait a second. Verses 12 through 14 of the psalm for today sounds a lot like the psalmist is doing what God says mankind should do in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He lifts up the cup of salvation. Much in the same way God says we should walk humbly with him, he already accepts us. Okay, I lift that up. And there's a Eucharistic connection there. Because God delivers us salvation. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will do my best to do justice, to follow what is right, because he has saved me, just like Micah 6 verse 8. The lectionary designers put these two together so that pastors have a unifying theme they can go off of. It's also good for new believers if a church continuously goes off of the one-year lectionary because new believers over the course of a number of years will get a good layout of Christian doctrine and the faith and the issues concerning the faith. Now occasionally there will be a reading in the lectionary that if I don't typically like the theme or I don't want to preach on it, I can preach on that text instead. For last Sunday, it was Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I didn't preach on it. Maybe I will next year where St. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he continues going on saying, well, 
I want you to be conformed to Christ. And he, our Lord, is going to do that for you. He will complete the work in you. Not quite related to the core messages of Micah 6, 8 and the psalm for the day. But if I want to preach on that, I have every opportunity to do so. And then we have the gospel reading, of course, which continues adding to the theme. Now, why am I bringing up the lectionary in a recording about how to deliver a message on Sunday, how to pass along what's been given to you through the VLP website? Well, because I go off of the lectionary, understanding the readings and the dynamic of the lectionary will give you an opportunity to understand what I'm saying if it's a little obtuse. You can go, okay, the pastor said this while you're doing your prep on Friday or Saturday. He said this, and I don't quite understand. Okay, well, let me go back to the passages in case somebody has a question about what I said. I can go back, study the words, go, okay, I understand it now. Or you could ask me a question, and we can talk about the text. Now, onto the message itself. You might notice if you have the PDF of last Sunday's sermon open, I start by talking about Franz Kafka. <laughs> now, it's a way for me to illustrate the concepts introduced in Micah 6, 1 through 8. I'm looking at the dynamics behind it, and I'm bringing in this introduction, this writer here, to help illustrate the attitude and the situation that the Israelites were in. I was doing that so that people could understand. Maybe you have a congregation that can't accept that. You're reading that and you're going, well, this is stupid. Nobody in my family, nobody in my home congregation is going to understand this. They're not going to be able to relate to it. Besides, we have a Hungarian grandma that hated Franz Kafka's guts, and if I bring him up, she's going to shut down and she's not going to listen to a single word that this pastor is saying. That's perfectly fine. Feel free to editorialize the sermon. Feel free to cut out whatever doesn't belong or to reword it as necessary. Here's from Acts chapter 7. This is important. St. Stephen delivers this message to the Pharisees and to the Jews all around him, where he says here in Acts 7, starting in verse 44, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. 
You who received the law is delivered by angels and did not keep it, says the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. St. Stephen was a deacon. And St. Stephen, in accordance with his office, was passing along the messages that had been given to him through discipleship. But then we see at those last few verses when he just turns to the Pharisees and just squishes them with the law right there. He just condemns them. He's going off script a little bit because the situation called for him to editorialize or change the message up a little bit for the sake of the hearers. Now, you don't have to squish your congregation. The point is you should modify the message, if need be, to suit the needs of the people in your house church. We are not a synod of cookie-cutter churches. We don't have every single house church or every single congregation acting in exactly the same way, listening to exactly the same words everywhere and anywhere. That would be silly. That would make us a control freak synod, and we are not about that. So, back to this illustration here, speaking about my sermon illustration of Franz Kafka. You read about it, and you say, this isn't appropriate. It just doesn't work. But, okay, I understand what the pastor is trying to bring up here. It says, Kafka writes about absurd situations that arise from the world being too complex, the way that hearts grow cold on account of modern life. Uh, they're not fun to read, but they're very relatable given the cold, unfeeling, and unexplained way things are today. And okay, he reads this uh, couple of sentences here from a parable called Before the Law. Okay, I know. I'm going to strike this paragraph from the sermon, and I'm going to fill in that blank space with, have you ever been in a hard situation where it felt like there was no winning? Where it felt like nobody cared about you? Okay, you've successfully editorialized and summarized all of that, substituted something in, and from then on, if you see the word Kafkaesque, you can just say a cruel situation. And so you read, okay, the pastor then moves on to the reading. In the book of Micah, the children of Israel and Judah are put into a similar situation, something truly Kafkaesque. You can change that. Something truly harsh, cruel, unwinnable. It felt like they were being persecuted by all sides, even by God. If you can find the heart of the message that I am preaching, you can reword it as necessary to get it through to the people that you are delivering this message to. But let's say part of that heart of the message is a little, oh, I don't know, inappropriate. Everybody in your family and your friends that come over for church, they've been just beaten down. It just feels awful looking at their faces and you know how tough things have been. Everybody's feeling poor. Family drama has left them feeling drained and exhausted. And maybe they could relate, but maybe some of the attitude that you've heard from them this past week or so demonstrates that their faith is a little fragile. So when you read me saying something like, 
There's no stretch of the imagination to say that the believer lives in what feels at times like a Kafka-esque environment. Your enemies hate you, so they persecute you. God loves you, so he disciplines you. You love God, so you end up hating yourself, at least the sinful parts of you. When I talk about the sin-repent, sin-repent, sin-repent cycle that gets so tiresome and frustrating, maybe you're reading over that and you say, this is going to be really bad for these people that I'm delivering this message to. This could hurt them. It might be all they hear, and they're not going to listen to the divine response that God gives, the gospel section of this sermon. That's okay. I would recommend rewording it, you know, striking through if necessary, to soften it. To say, we're all pretty frustrated right now. We feel like the Israelites do, where it feels like nothing is ever enough, right? And you can take the dramatic reading that I give, the dramatic writing that is sometimes more impactful than it should be. And you can say, okay, we're going to soften this up a little bit so they can hear it and then anticipate what God has to say in response. When God says, don't you remember my promises? Do you remember the call of Abraham, the Exodus? Uh, you're feeling like this is frustrating and difficult, but I promise you that feeling can melt away when you remember that I care. I am for you. If your congregation needs to hear the gospel a lot more than the law here, it's okay to say that. It's okay to edit if you need to do so. But remember that the message must still be preached. The heart of the message must still be brought to them. If the passage is on law, the law must be preached. If it's on law and gospel, law and gospel must be delivered. Same with the third use of the law or the first use of the law. I do admit to the frustration of some that I preach what the readings call for whether that's the first, second, or third use of the law, or the gospel, or law and gospel. I don't like the cookie-cutter, always-the-same-every-week message that so much of Lutheranism delivers these days, where it's just, you suck, but God loves you anyway, reworded a million times with some Bible verses sprinkled onto it and some illustrations slapped onto the beginning. If you familiarize yourself with the three uses of the law, and with the gospel, I promise you understanding what I'm saying in the sermon is going to get a lot easier. And if you have to edit it, it will feel a lot more doable. But that said, there are emotional aspects to what I write. Emotions are a good thing that God has given us. It is something we do not shun. We are good pietists. Emotions are a part of life and a part of our ability to reflect on where we are in the faith. They don't give us doctrine, these emotions and experiences that we have. We are not enthusiasts, but it is good to see where our heart is and to see what our emotions are saying. So if you're reading over this and you hear me say something in the audio with a certain emotional tone to it, if you want to copy that, if you want to change how it is expressed as you read it to your congregation, that's perfectly fine. If you're the type of guy that says, no, I'm just not a big theater kid type, 
<laughs> I'm not an actor. I can't pretend on emotions or deliver in these emotional states. That's also perfectly legitimate. But if you are not the type to have an emotional inflection in your reading, I would recommend that you make sure to read clearly. If you are used to reading things in a monotone, that's perfectly fine. But the people in your home congregation should be able to understand what you are saying. Make sure that it's not rambling. It's got to be loud, clear, and enunciated for their sakes. Remember that as ministers of the sacrament, with a kind of gray area relationship to the word, you're not a minister of the word, but you kind of are, you're in the order of St. Stephen here. You are delivering a message for the benefit of the people, passing along something that is for their benefit. It's not a job. It's not a chore. It's part of your vocation where you love your neighbor in doing these things. Everything that comes out of the VLP and everything that a deacon does for his home congregation should be with that attitude in mind. What does my congregation need? What do these precious believers, people that God loves so dearly, what do they need? What helps them and edifies them in the faith? So as you can tell, everything I've been talking about is what is appropriate for the people in your care. Much in the same way, every time I preach, I look at what do people need right now. And in my interactions with people in the catacomb synod, what are the needs that can be fulfilled here, edifying them in the ministry of the word? If we keep that in mind, a lot of the practical aspect of delivering these messages, it'll come pretty naturally to you. Now, as a secondary matter, know your people if they want a manuscript to print off extra copies or to tell them, okay, you can download and read along from the very Lutheran.biz website or if you're swapping it out for a different sermon entirely, again, sometimes I give real stinkers, I'm pretty sure of that. If you're swapping it out entirely, just let them know, here's where you can find the different sermon that I'm selecting for this Sunday, and we can get it going. Now, next week we are going to be talking about how to run a Bible study. I've talked before about running Bible studies, but then... The way that I've been giving Sunday school materials for the Catacomb Synod, it bears its own session on how a deacon can creatively lead that. We'll get into that next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.